Today's readings are Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And from the book of Jeremiah, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that are carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, first through fourth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you. All right, well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. It's good to be with you guys here this morning. I have Dan Dobler with me, uh, and I am really, really excited for, for this part of our service. Um, a few weeks ago, we had a congregational meeting. If you weren't able to attend, there's a clip on our YouTube where you can watch that. Um, it, was, it was a pretty important moment in the life of our church for where we're heading. And one of the things that we talked about is we believe God is calling us to be a biblically diverse Community. That means there are people who look like us and don't look like us, our same age range and not our same age range, spend money on the same kinds of things and maybe not, and probably vote similar and differently. So in order for that to happen with any level of authenticity, we understand by nature there will be disagreements. So to preempt that, to try to be a bit proactive, one of the things that we are incorporating into the life of our church is a program. Program? Opportunity. Opportunity. Dan's my wordsmith. Opportunity uh, called the Colossian Way. And so, Dan, it has been incredible to hear a bit of your story and how this has shaped you. Would you share that with us? Why, how is this important to you in your life? Okay. Um, it was about 30 years ago when my sister-in-law, Marcia's sister Marilyn, uh, told us that she was a lesbian. And now I've been fortunate to have raised in a Christian home, uh, learned the Word of God, and it was fairly fundamental. In fact, my mother admitted last year that uh, we were raised pretty legalistically. So Marcia and I prayed about it and we responded to her like I believed that we should have. We told her, we love you, but we do believe it's a sin and that's not God's plan. We saw her maybe once, maybe twice a year, uh, holidays and birthdays. And then in 2017, Marsha was taken to Long Beach Memorial, uh, almost died from norovirus and pneumonia. And Marilyn was there. And we had some difficult interactions, but it was a stressful time. When Marsha was discharged 
she uh, eventually went to sister went to uh, lunch with her sister Marilyn, and Marilyn told Marcia, "I don't want to hear from Dan. I don't want to see him. I don't want to talk with him. I want nothing, nothing to do with him, because he doesn't love me. He's never loved me. He's never taken time to find out anything about me." I was so embarrassed. I was horrified because as a believer, I know that I'm supposed to love. But I was so uncomfortable with the discussion, I didn't know who to talk with. And I struggled. I talked with a couple of pastors that uh, are in the local area that have had uh, discussions with their leadership. They got me in contact with the Colossian Forum. And I remember sitting on a Saturday morning, reading the blog, reading what the Colossian Forum was about, what they offered. And I remember sitting there and weeping, weeping because of what I recognized I had lost in my relationship with my sister-in-law and failure to love. But I also wept because of the hope, the Colossian Forum, they have developed series and an attitude and a perspective that conflict can produce discipleship. And for the first time in my life, I had a lifeline thrown to me. And it changed my whole outlook on life to be able to enter into conflict. I don't look for conflict, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I don't back away from it just because I'm nervous and someone differs from me in an opinion. And it's changed the way I look at my at, at the look, way I look at life and the way I look at uh, conflict. Thank you so much for sharing that. That um, I appreciate that. I I was reading an article this week, um, and there was um, some research done into the evangelical movement, and one of the main descriptors of people outside who would not identify even as evangelical used to describe evangelicals is the people who don't ask questions. And what you're communicating is the opposite of that. And that is such a breath of fresh air for me and our, one of our prayers for our congregation that we can enter into the hard conversations and do it with love rooted in scripture, not compromising who we feel like God is calling us to be, but be people who ask good questions. Um, what, what else? What, how, is, how do you see this being helpful for us as a people? Well, first... I want to be able to have hard conversations about stuff that I know we disagree with, you know, with other people. I want to have those conversations because I recognize that the Holy Spirit is in the person that I'm talking with as well as me. So God can speak through someone who has a different opinion. God forbid. So it's important to me to be a part of people that want to do that. My real prayer is, is that no one will have to go through separation because of not having an opportunity or the option to have other people to talk with. Yes, that's so good. That's so good and so helpful. Hey, would you guys, uh, sorry, before you give Dan a round of applause, there is an insert in your um, bulletin and Laura was handing these out. If you don't have one, there's extras, but there's a QR code with all the information. My, my preference was just to hear from Dan, to hear his heart, because I feel like that's most compelling more than like, we're gonna re meet in room, da 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 You can look that info up on your own. So scan the QR code, get the info. Would you guys give Dan a round of applause for sharing with us today? Thank you. Thank you.
If you would like to chat with him, learn more about this uh, process, ask questions, whatever, he's going to have a table in the lobby directly after the service. We would love for you guys to go stop by, pay him a visit, ask a question, hear more of his story. Um, at least in my experience, my interactions with Dan, you will be blessed. So, um, so there's that. So here we are, Grace. Week two of our series on the missional identity of God's people. And for those of you guys who have been around church for a long time, you've heard a lot of sermons, you know every good sermon starts with a good introduction, a compelling story, something funny, some anecdote to get you engaged in what the preacher is going to say. I don't have that. I don't have a good introduction for you. Instead, I'm going to tell you what my prayer has been for you this week through where we're going. My prayer is that something that currently does not exist, God will ignite. That there will be an idea, an initiative, maybe a program, an opportunity, something that right now does not exist. But in our few minutes together as we engage God's word and his spirit is active, he will spark an idea not with the lead pastors not with our staff, not with our elders, but with you guys. You who are here will have an idea of a way to creatively love your neighbor, something that does not exist now, God will do. God always does this. God speaks things into existence from the beginning of creation through the biblical story. We see God speaking and things happening, and we know that God today speaks through his word. So I'm going to pray that that happens, all right? Yeah, there you guys are. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we don't want to pray for this. Jesus, you call us to crazy places and to do crazy things, and you call us to be faithful in the mundane, in, in the opportunities that show up day in and day out. And so we are eager. I am eager. We are confident that you are calling us to love Long Beach well. We are confident that you are leading us forward and that you are doing something here. And we're so thankful for that. It's so exciting. And so Jesus, would you use your word? Would you use your spirit to stir something up today? Lord, would you speak through me because I'm not creative enough. We need you. <laughs> would you give people boldness and imagination? Would you give them uh, opportunities to network with one another? Lord, we don't know what you're going to do today, but we know you're going to do something because your word never returns to you void and empty. It always accomplishes its purpose. So we ask, Lord, today that what would be accomplished would help us to love this city better. And now we're excited. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you give us courage not to doubt that small voice inside that may be prompting us? And so we trust you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to start uh, in Genesis chapter 12 in a passage that if you've been around here for a while, you've heard me talk about frequently. Uh, because I feel like it's really important. I feel like it's very uh, important to understand the formation of God's people. This is when God in his story is calling people to follow him. This very first family, Abram and Sarah, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. If you have our pew Bible, you'll find this story on page 8. 
God is entering, beginning to enter into a covenant with Abram. He's speaking to him and he's telling him what he will do, what his plan is for his people. So in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 1. It says this, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. As we're walking through this series on the missional identity of God's people, this is where it starts. This is where God begins forming his people's identity. And yes, this is in what Christians would refer to as the Old Testament. This is with the people of Israel, but we are connected to this story. This is the story that gives shape and meaning to all of life. So as God is beginning these connections with his people, this should catch our attention. We should notice this passage. The goal is that we'll bring it up so much it starts to become annoying, right? That's when you know it's starting to sink in, when people are like, oh yeah, here we go. We're blessed to be a blessing. We get it, Will. When we get there, we'll know that like, it's sinking in. But this is how God is calling his people. He says that we are sent to be a blessing. We're like a garden hose, right? One end is connected to God and who he is and his blessings flow through us towards those who don't yet know him so that they can get to know him. There's a purpose, a reason why God blesses us. It's for the watching world. And so our call as his followers is to be faithful with those blessings. What could those blessings be? Literally anything. The book of James in the New Testament tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above, from our Heavenly Father. So when you take inventory of your life and you think about the things that are good, those are blessings. Those are opportunities to bless other people. What could this mean? This could mean your education. This could mean your finances. This could mean your time. This could mean your home. This could mean your automobile. This could be network opportunities that you have through your professional connections to bless somebody who's looking for employment. This could be the city council member that you know to help get that street light put into that neighborhood that needs more light. This could be the connection around the globe, like the Borgeses who are serving in Turkey and inviting in uh, Ukrainian refugees who communicate a need that we communicate to you guys, and you bless them with the financial blessings God has blessed you with. This could be any number of things. This could be a season ticket holder who knows that a new family who just moved in from out of state has a dad who's a 49ers fan and a son who's decided to become an LA Rams fan and we get to go to a game in a few weeks. That's a blessing, that's a good gift. It's generous, our heavenly father is generous. Yes, God is serious and holy, but he also created fun and creativity and so we can go enjoy a football game. Anything can be used as a gift. We are sent to be a blessing. We talked about last week, we shouldn't be the kind of people when we get around others that they're like, ugh, 
Some of you guys have experienced that. She'd be like, oh, oh, you're here. This is good news. We're excited to see you. So one of the things that I want to do today is just share stories of how I've seen this happen for what I've already prayed, that God would spark our imagination. So I got a picture for you guys. I'm really stepping up my slideshow game here, thanks to my wife and Laura and Brandon and Jake and Eli, and it takes a whole team to help me with technology, if you haven't caught that by now. So um, this was taken a number of years ago when it was really cool on Instagram to add a bunch of filters. Remember that? So that's why it's like a little reddish, orangish, pinkish. Um, If you have a hard time seeing it, what this is is um, a meal at a restaurant uh, of delicious Moroccan food. And my friend uh, Jim Mullins, uh, who lives in Arizona, got this idea a number of years ago. What he saw in Arizona and other places as well, um, post 9-11, was uh, a lot of Islamophobia. People were really um, scared and, and responded negatively towards the Muslim community and people of Middle Eastern descent in general. And so he felt convicted. He started to ask the question of what can I do? I'm one guy, there was a huge you know, national event, there's this big outcry, there's wars going on, how could I possibly make a difference? And so uh, one day he ventured into a Middle Eastern restaurant and no one was in there and he just started a conversation with the owners. And what he found out was that there were a number, a number of Middle Eastern restaurants in the Phoenix area that were going out of business because people wouldn't come eat the food anymore as a reaction against 9-11. So his idea was to invite a group of friends, coordinate with the owner of the restaurant first, and say, we want to give you your best night of business for the entire year. And he told his friends, look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to show up. Be prepared to tip a ridiculous amount of money like way more than you ever would, for the purpose of displaying the generous love of Christ. We wanna come and ask questions about uh, the owners of this restaurant, their experience, what it was like coming to a new country, why they left their home country. And so, peace feasts were born. Now this idea was something we incorporated in our old church. This was from the first one that I helped to lead. Um, And and this is something that had spread to other churches in the area and actually other states. So there's funny stories of my friend Jim like visiting churches in different states and the pastors there telling them about this great idea that they had about Peace Feast where they go like to this restaurant. He's like, oh, that is a great idea. He's a really kind and, and humble guy. And so one of my favorite stories was uh, we led a Peace Feast, um, at a restaurant in Tempe called Oasis, and the family was from Yemen, and so we, we prepared them, hey, we're gonna invite our church, we're gonna try to bring you know, a bunch of people for lunch on a Sunday after service, and we just wanna bless you guys, and we wanna learn. So would you share with us about your culture, about your story, the parts that you feel comfortable sharing, just so we can learn more about who you are, where you come from, uh, and, and what your experience has been like. So the owner invited his friend, who also happened to work at ASU, as a professor of Middle Eastern history, who was born in Yemen and like one of the most like sought after experts on Yemeni culture and history. So we got this incredible lesson in, in the culture, in the food, in the experience, in a lot of the cultural and social dynamics that were going on, and then we followed up with thank you cards. 
And so we asked our people, we got the, you know, the thank you cards that are just blank inside. And we said, hey, like, yeah, say thank you. But more than that, would you please write down attributes of who God is, what his kingdom is like that you experienced through this restaurant, through the food, through learning about the culture and the history. So Jim and I followed up a couple weeks later. We went for lunch uh, at Oasis and, and connected with our friends, and we were asking, you know, hey, what was that like for you? And they were, they were floored. They couldn't believe the tips that they got, how kind everyone was. They're like, you're the only people who cleaned up your own dishes. No one cleans up their dishes. And as we went to pay, we were struck because we saw this, this shelf behind the cash register and they had, you know how businesses will do like the first dollar, right? Like the first dollar that they made. So there was the first dollar, there was a plaque uh, with a, a verse from the Quran, and then there were the cards from our church where our people told this Muslim family how they experienced Jesus through their good restaurant, their good food, through learning about their culture, their history. It was elevated to that level. We realized that we were blessed. We were blessed with the ability to tip a few extra dollars. We were blessed with the ability of time to go to a restaurant that was out of our way, to spend some time getting to know someone's story and hear about their culture, and the impact on that family was incredible. We are sent to be a blessing with something as simple as lunch. What was a simple lunch for us was a profound moment in the life of that family. So I wonder what the spirit is stirring up as you're hearing this story. I wonder what ideas are coming to mind as you hear this. Let's keep looking. Not only are we sent to bless all, if we flip over to the book of Jeremiah, we'll see that we're sent to seek shalom. So we talked about this passage in Genesis 12 with Abram, whose name would later be turned into Abraham, and he would have kids, or a kid, and then the kid would have kids, and then the nation would start to grow, just like God promised. They go to Egypt. If you guys haven't watched Prince of Egypt, you can learn all of this history really, really quickly. Or you can read your Bibles. Um, and, and so there's a famine, and you know Joseph helps the Pharaoh secure a bunch of food in the midst of the famine so that other nations could be blessed. Remember what God said, I'll bless you so that all nations could be blessed, and that's starting to happen. Uh, and so the people grow, and that Pharaoh dies, and the people multiply, and then there's a new Pharaoh, and he doesn't know the stories. He doesn't remember the stories, so now he looks at God's people uh, a little suspicious, or as the cool kids would say now, a little sus. I'm relevant. And there's fear, right? And, and so Pharaoh forces God's people into, into slavery. He's oppressing God's people. The people call out, cry out to God. God responds. God raises up Moses, who, who leads the exodus out of Egypt. He gives them a law to form their identity. We talked about this moment right before the Ten Commandments were given last week, where God says, you guys are my treasured possession. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. He's forming their identity and then gives them a whole series of laws about what that should look like. And the rest of the Old Testament is how faithful or unfaithful they are to this missional identity. This identity that includes holiness and obedience, worship and praise, justice and cleanliness so that they can look and act and respond differently than the nations around them. And so prophet after prophet comes and tells the people when they're doing a 
good job or warns the people when they're doing a bad job. And after generations and generations of disobedience, God pulls his people out of Jerusalem, sends them into Babylon in exile. And from the heart of Babylon, who has laid siege to Jerusalem, who has killed um, hundreds or thousands of people, created, you know, starvation is, is the, the city has been laid siege to. Uh, they're in the heart of Babylon. And these false prophets start saying like, hey, don't worry about it. We're going to be out of here in no time. Like, don't even build a house. God won't, God won't have his people here. God won't keep us here forever. Just a short amount of time. Don't put down roots. And so God speaks to Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, to his people in the midst of Babylon. He says this, picking up in Jeremiah, chapter 29, starting in verse 4. This is on page 656, if you have the Pew Bible. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity, or shalom, of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So uh, imagine this, if you will. We're here in Long Beach, in California, and all of a sudden, those evil, angry Canadians decide, <laughs> people are literally laughing, Canadians are so nice, decide to invade our country, our state, our city. They're like sinking the Queen Mary, I don't know, with like hockey sticks or something. I don't know what they would. <clears throat> right? War has broken out. People have been killed. People that you know. People on your street, friends and family members, coworkers. We get carried off into exile. You probably wouldn't feel very generous towards them. We probably wouldn't want to contribute to their cities after they destroyed beautiful, beautiful Long Beach. I wonder what, how we would respond if we heard these words from God. Build houses, they destroyed our houses. Plant gardens, they starved us. Get married and have children, they brutalized our women. But this is what God tells his people to do. And not just build houses, but pray to the Lord, not for our behalf, on their behalf. For in its welfare, in its peace and prosperity, in its shalom, we will find our shalom. It's a Hebrew word that's like universal human flourishing in every sphere of life as God intended it. That's what the exiles were to pursue for the sake of the Babylonians. 
So now today, there are right critiques of the world. The, the system that does not follow Jesus. There is sin in the world that needs to be called out. And it needs to be informed by this posture. If God is calling his people who have been carried into exile under Babylonian oppression to still seek the welfare of Babylon, how much more should we be seeking the welfare of Long Beach? Now, I've had this conversation with people who um, get confused. When we say welfare, we're talking about like the well-being, not like government financial assistance. That's different welfare. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is seeking the well-being of the city, of your neighbors, of fellow citizens where God has called us by doing very real and tangible things like building houses, planting gardens, maybe volunteering at a local school, maybe con contributing to the flourishing of those that God has called us into relationship with, maybe contributing to the flourishing of those God has not even called us into relationship with, but just live near us. Maybe there's opportunities to get to know people you don't yet know. Some of you guys have lived here a lot longer than we have. I would venture to guess in a city our size, there's probably people you haven't met yet. I wonder what relationship God has in store for you. That family down the street that it's like awkward because you've both lived there so long, but you still don't know each other's names. What if you were really brave and just introduced yourself? I wonder what would happen from that. I wonder what would happen if a, a group of people who attend Grace that live in the same neighborhood got together and just brainstormed, how could we bless this place? What could this look like? What could God do through our creativity, through our gifts, through our ideas? So I got another story. Um, a number of years ago, probably six years ago now, uh, there was an event that was being planned in Phoenix at a local mosque. And there was a group that decided they wanted to protest the mosque. They wanted to uh, do a draw the prophet Muhammad contest, which is wildly offensive um, to, to Muslims. And their tagline was, we are going to exercise our First Amendment right. And if we can't do that, then we'll exercise our Second Amendment right. And so, you know, some of us who were like, you know, kind of like leaders in the church, did our due diligence, and we like posted about it on Facebook. Uh, and then my wife started to challenge us and said, that's great, but what are we gonna do? Like a post is one thing, it's important for people to be informed, but like what are we actually going to do to seek the shalom of the city? And so this idea started coming together called the Love Your Neighbor Rally. And it wasn't a counter-protest. We didn't want to protest. It was a rally, a peaceful, prayerful rally where we said, we're going to show up before the other guys in front of the mosque as the people are gathering to worship. And we're just going to stand there. We're going to pray. And we're going to provide a peaceful presence between fellow citizens who are showing up at their place of worship to worship and people who were really angry and had really big guns. Because here's the deal. Jesus stands between us and harm. 
So we wanted to display what Jesus was like. And if harm was going to come their way, it would have to pass through our bodies. And so we started to pray. And some big guys showed up. And we continued to pray, and they brought big guns, and they brought, like, I don't even know where you get, like, the bulletproof jacket, that, flak vests, I think they're called. Right? Like, I, do you buy that at Walmart? Like, I don't even know where you get these things, but these dudes were showing up, and they were angry. And it's Phoenix in May, so it was hot. So we brought bottles of water. Because it turns out when you're really hot and really angry and yelling really loudly, and somebody hands you a bottle of water and you drink it, you can't yell anymore. And we would ask things like, can we pray for you? And most of them said yes. And it turns out when you invite somebody to pray for you, it's really hard to yell at other people at the same time. Most of the time you close your mouth and bow your head. Now we weren't heroic, we just showed up. We made, you can see, so this is the picture. Uh, those blue squares are our signs that we made actually on our kitchen table, with Bible verses, super simple. Love your neighbor. Do what is honorable. Seek the shalom of the city. Now, that was a tense moment. But God showed up. We got um, some critique from this. Where was this evangelistic moment? Where did you proclaim Jesus? We're like, we proclaimed Jesus every second. We were standing out there in front of these guys. But an interesting thing happened earlier that day as we're at our kitchen table with some friends making signs. Uh, our oldest started to ask questions. I think Will was like maybe four at the time. And so we told him what we were doing. And he said, well, why? Why would people be so angry like this? And we started to explain it. And we got into this conversation about what sin does and how Jesus is the answer. And that was the first moment that he prayed to Jesus to have a relationship with him. I had no idea that would happen. I had no idea when my wife started calling us out that that would be one of the outcomes. We had no idea that this story would literally be shared around the Muslim world as evangelicals in Arizona <laughs> stood up for their Muslim friends and neighbors. I'm not saying this to say like we did this great thing. I didn't organize it. Other people organized it. We just showed up. I'm saying, Grace, what could we do? What opportunities could God be inviting us to here in Long Beach, in Southern California? It probably won't look like this, but it'll be beautiful. It won't be the same thing, but it'll make an impact for the kingdom. So I wonder who in this room will be prompted one day to call us as leadership and say, hey, get your act together. Don't just post about it on Facebook. Do something. What are we going to do together? Let's keep looking. We started in Genesis. We went to the book of Jeremiah. Now we're going to go to the New Testament. This is after God sent Jesus to come. You remember little baby Jesus from Christmas time stories? who grew up, lived a perfect life, was betrayed, was arrested, was beaten, was crucified, was murdered unjustly, and was raised again on the third day. He appeared to his disciples, 
He empowered them with the Spirit for mission to live differently than the rest of the world so that people would come to a saving relationship with Jesus because of who he is, what his kingdom is like, the good words that his people would tell them about Jesus and the good deeds that they would embody that display who he is and, and what his kingdom is like. And it starts to spread, right? Like there's that moment, I imagine the early church like, oh, it's working. Like, he said we were going to go out, and we're going out, and like, this thing is actually working. So then here comes Paul, who's, who's going out from Jerusalem into um, uh, the rest of the world that isn't Jewish, that are Gentiles, not ethnically Jewish. And he's telling them about Jesus, and they're coming to faith, and his friends are telling them about Jesus, and more people are coming to faith, and little churches are sprouting up. So then we get all of these letters in the New Testament where Paul and other people are talking about how do you faithfully live out this gospel in the midst of your culture, in the midst of your city. So that's why Ephesians doesn't sound like Corinthians. Colossians doesn't sound like James. They're talking to different people in different cities who are trying to figure out how to live missionally, how to faithfully embody, live out the gospel in the time and place where God has called them. So Paul tells us this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's on page 966 in your pew Bible. We're going to start in verse 20. He says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we're talking about blessing, we're talking about shalom, and then we see this truth, we hear this truth written about by Paul, that Jesus, who knew no sin, who was only blessing, God caused him to become sin or curse for us so that our sin would be removed. So that in turn, we could become the righteousness of God to people who don't yet know who Jesus is. Now, of all the verses, I chose this one on purpose because for one of the main reasons of this word, righteousness. And I apologize, I gotta nerd out a little bit here. But this word righteousness comes from a Greek word that I'm not even going to try to say because I didn't take those classes. If you're interested in that, call Jake Barnes. He'll tell you all about it. But this word in Greek, it is actually communicating two concepts. One concept is righteousness. The other concept is justice. In the Greek mind, in the Hebrew concept before it, these words were not different, they were the same. So if you were to talk about righteousness, it was implied you meant justice. If you were to talk about justice, it was implied you meant righteousness. There was no distinction here. But what's interesting is we translate the Bible, we have to make choices about words. And in our context, we go with righteousness. In other contexts, we see the word translated as justice. 
And when you read this over and over and over and over, it forms you for generation after generation to the point where today we have this division in how we understand these things in churches across North America. We're a justice church. We're a righteousness church. No, it's all about what you do for the poor. No, it's all about your right standing before God. These things are connected. They're not different. The concept is the same. We're the goofy ones who split it and then wonder why we're arguing all the time. We think about this in in regards to our relationship with God. He calls us to be holy, to be righteous. Jesus paid the cost for our sin so that God could have justice for the wages of sin is death. These are connected. Now when we go out in mission, we tend to focus on one or the other. Righteousness or justice? Do we care about the physical state of what people experience in real life in our world? Or do we only care about the spiritual abstract, what they'll get to when they go to heaven one day? I just imagine Paul like banging his head against the wall like, no, 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 no. It's neither of those individually. It's both of those together. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not so small that it only includes a lived experience. It's not so small that it only includes personal salvation. It's big enough for all of it. Leslie Newbegins, no, 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 sorry. Christopher Wright, world-renowned missiologist, says the world needs a holistic, meaning including both things, a holistic gospel because it's in a holistic mess. That makes sense to me. We could try to create some kind of like social utopia there is still something that's missing inside my soul. We could tell people all day about the good news of Jesus. If there's no change, why would they believe us? So God gives us this beautiful word that doesn't separate righteousness and justice, but combines all of it. So let me tell you about my friend Tita. There's gonna be a picture that pops up here. This picture is taken in a neighborhood in Guatemala called La Limonada. That means lemonade. The neighborhood is known as Lemonade because it was built on two ravines that form a little like creek or river, if you will, where a significant amount of um, sewage and wastewater from Guatemala City run. Hopefully you can read between the lines and understand why it's called Lemonade. It's not appealing. Um, A few things were happening in Guatemala's history that caused this neighborhood to develop. One was there was a civil war, and people were scared, so they fled the rural areas around Guatemala and came into Guatemala City. In 1970, there was a massive earthquake that displaced a number of people. So this, back in the day, was just like a ravine that was kind of a park. People didn't go down to like, you know, the lemonade. You stayed away from there. But there was just open space. Well, as people moved in from the rural areas and were displaced from the earthquake, they had nowhere to go, so they started building basically a squatter's camp. Sociologists now identify this neighborhood as the largest, um, their language is urban slum in Central America. One of the things that happened is a result of the U.S.'s policy of deporting gang members in the 80s back to their countries of origin is a number of MS-13 and 18th Street gang members were deported back to countries including Guatemala. The gang members understood where to recruit. You recruit where there's areas of need and what you can provide 
will be looked favorably upon. Protection, fast money, status. So the youth that were in this neighborhood were a prime target. What happened then is the government identified what was happening in this neighborhood was used as a scapegoat. It's all the fault of these people. People wouldn't get hired if they put that they lived in this neighborhood on their application. This was like the black sheep neighborhood of Guatemala City. It was the scary place where you don't go at night. Really, you don't go any time of the day. But it was like, you know, we would talk about like the other side of the tracks or something like that. That's this neighborhood. So my friend Tita um, came to faith and took Jesus seriously. She read Matthew 25, and Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And she asked a beautiful question. Who are the least of these in my city? Well, it's got to be La Limonada. So being a woman who takes Jesus seriously, she began to walk the neighborhood and pray. Jesus blessed them. Jesus, what would you have me do? She prayer walked the neighborhood day after day, week after week, month after month. And this interesting thing happened. People started to recognize her. Hey, what are you doing here praying for you guys? Oh, hey, can you pray that we get food? We're really hungry. So Tita, being a woman who takes Jesus seriously, went home and got the biggest pot she could find and made beans and rice and brought it. And it was gone really quickly because there was need there. So then she realized she had to get two pots and more beans and rice and begin to hand those out. So she does this over a long period of time. She prays righteousness and responds, meeting tangible needs, justice. After three years of this, she calls for a meeting with her pastor and she says, hey, we got to do something about this neighborhood. He said, are you kidding me? If we go there, we'll be killed. She said, I've been there for three years. They love me. Imagine that. So Tita, understanding righteousness and justice, understanding the needs of the community and the assets in those community, in that community, hopefully this is sounding familiar, began to respond. She began to realize it's a lot more difficult to convince somebody who's already in a gang to come out. There's a lot of complications with that. But kids that are young before they make that choice that's a better place to invest. So she built an academy. If you can see the pink building, it's a bright pink building in the middle of the picture. That's one of Tita's academies where kids come and the justice happens. They, they learn how to brush their teeth, wash their hands, they get vitamins, they get nutritious meals, they get help with their schoolwork, they are taught how to read, how to write, how to do math. They have um, psychologists at every one of her academies where they're dealing with the trauma of living in poverty, broken homes, violence that they're exposed to, all of these things. It's no cost. The only request is that if a parent wants to enroll their kid, then the parent has to show up for Bible studies and group counseling. The kids are prayed over. They're taught songs about Jesus. They're taught stories about the Bible. They're invited into relationship with him. Righteousness and justice. And I don't know if you can see it, but it may be hard to see. At the very top, there's like the, the horizon, and then there's a big building in the middle of the picture that sticks up above the horizon. That is the government building for the Guatemalan Center of Justice that ironically enough looks right over this neighborhood and never takes the time to look down and see the injustice right at its doorstep.
What could God be inviting us to right now? As you hear the story of Tita, what ideas are coming into your mind? What neighborhood is coming into your mind? What idea that is probably going to be better than Tita's academies is God beginning to form in your mind? What connections do you have? That's not a coincidence. God has never stopped working with grace. The connections that you have, the people you know in city council, in the mayor's office, the networks with other churches are for a reason. Because God is mobilizing us. Not just because it's in my job title, but because the spirit is at work. It feels like we're like on the precipice, like there's momentum and God's beginning to do things. He's beginning to make connections. Church, this is not just for the ABCD team. This is not just for the interview team. The missional identity of God's people applies to everyone who claims to follow Jesus. Because he invites us to receive not only his righteousness, but his justice as well. Because we benefit from what he has done in reconciling us to God. And he invites us and commands us to do the same. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to move into our time of response. Father, this place is so full of beautiful, beautiful blessings. Incredible people, incredible minds, incredible families, incredible pockets of friendship. And so we come to you with these gifts. And we ask you, how can we use them to love our neighbors? How can we use them to love our city? How can we use them to love people who don't yet know you, Jesus? Remind us of that joy when we first came to faith with you. The zeal, the excitement of telling everyone, no matter how goofy we sounded about who you are, Lord, bring that back. Jesus, I pray that people who have good ideas right now wouldn't feel awkward or unsure, but that they would be bold. Jesus, I pray that you would open the doors that need to be open so that these ideas can move forward. We thank you that you give us your spirit to empower us to do these things, right? What Ephesians, Ephesians tells us this in chapter two. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God 
who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God, you have done so many good works through these people and through this place. We're excited to see what you will call us to in this next chapter. We're excited to see the new ways that people will step out, the new ideas that are better than peace feasts, the new ideas that are more impactful than the Love Your Neighbor rally, the new ideas that make a greater impact than Tita's academies, what will you do here? So now we invite you to speak to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. And now the good news is we get to respond. I'm convinced God has done something. We get to respond by singing together as Mike and the band lead us in worship. I'm convinced that God is speaking and he's inviting us to talk back. So we get to respond in prayer. There'll be people on either side. We pray because we have a God who listens and a God who cares and a God who acts. So pray with one another. If you have an idea, go tell somebody and pray with them about it. And we're gonna respond by giving because we believe that Jesus is Lord of everything, even our finances. We believe that we are blessed so that we can bless other people. And a lot of these ideas that are gonna come take money. <laughs> this is just one of the many, many ways that we worship God and we're obedient to God. He's generous to us, so we're in turn generous as well. So we invite you at this time to respond in these ways.